Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Chris Stewart and Dr. Sam Payne, who are fourth-year residents at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Chris is originally from Dallas, Texas. He completed college at Texas A&M University and medical school at the University of Texas at Houston, now McGovern Medical School. His interests include hand surgery and microsurgery. Sam is originally from Atlanta. He went to college at Davidson College and medical school at the Medical College of Georgia, and he's interested in hand surgery and craniofacial surgery. Chris, Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Jenna. So I'd love to start by hearing kind of a broad overview about your program. So our program is a six-year program for an integrated route and then a three-year combined, I guess it's an independent route. The first three years are predominantly split between general surgery and plastic surgery. And four, five, and six, you join up with some independent residents. Can you break down the plastics experience you get over the first three years? So in the first year, you do six months of general surgery, and then you do uh, either three or four months of plastics and two months of some other things. I think we do uh, anesthesia and dermatology. And then second year, you only do three months of general surgery, and then more like six months of plastics and three months of some other services, including the head and neck service with ENT. And then a third year is a little bit more general surgery. So we do either, I think it's four and a half or five months of general surgery. And then almost the rest of the time is plastics. And we do also do oculoplastics. The big ones are oculoplastics, dermatology, anesthesia. There's a ortho hand service, which is separate from our hand service, of course. And then rotations in the general surgery subspecialties. In the general surgery rotations, most of them are helpful. We do a lot of time on the on the burn service, and the Grady burn service is super busy. Your third year, you actually get to be chief of that service, which is a, a really neat experience. What's the experience like when you're on some of the non-plastic services? It's good. I'd say, in general, we're, we're treated with respect everywhere we go. The plastics residents are known as some of the best residents at Emory. And so most people, I think, think of it as a privilege to have us on their service. We're not, you know, looked down on or anything. And especially on general surgery, usually the upper level residents and the attendings are are happy to have us because they know that we're going to work hard and get things done and, and be excited about doing things. And where are some of the different sites you rotate through? We have several. The main ones are the Grady, which is our indigent population hospital, a trauma hospital, level one trauma, the only one in Georgia that certified. And then that's the main one. Then you have your Emory, Maine, which is your typical university hospital system. Our craniofacial experience comes from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, which is two sites, Scottish Rite and Eggleston. And then of course the VA, in addition to a Emory Aesthetic Center, which is an independent site. What's the breakdown like in terms of when you spend time at those places across the years? It's kind of all mixed together, to be honest. I guess your chief year when you're a, a PGY-6 in the integrated program or a third year in the independent program, 
you are chief for three months at Grady and then three months at the Emory main campus, which is the big tertiary hospital, three months at Emory Midtown, which is almost sort of like in between Grady and Emory main. It's not quite as much of the super complicated patients that you get at Emory main. It's a little bit more trauma, but you get a little bit of the lower socioeconomic status patients like you do at Grady as well. And then you spend three months doing kind of a combination of uh, elective and aesthetics rotations your chief year as well. And the other years, it's kind of just a mix between all the sites. And you mentioned that you do have independent residents. So how many are there per year? And can you tell me a little bit more about the experience working with them? So we have two integrated residents a year. And then starting your PGY4 year, you're joined up with two other independent residents. So that is 18 total residents. And it's a really great compilation of residents that has allowed us to, I think, get a more general surgery experience that separates plastic surgery from other surgical subspecialties like ENT and orthopedics, which are known to only know anatomy and problems above the neck. And orthopedics, oh, I only can focus on the bones. I think that's really what separates us as plastic surgeons, a part of being able to operate from head to toe. And do you have any fellows at your program? Yeah, there's one craniofacial fellow per year. And then actually starting next year, there will be two hand surgery fellows. So the craniofacial fellow really does not take away a whole lot from our experience. There are three craniofacial attendings and they're all super busy. So even if the fellow does the biggest case on most days. There may be multiple cranial vaults going in the same day. You know, there's not just going to be one big case per week or something that the fellow takes. Scottish Rite is a super high volume craniofacial center. I think that's really a strength of our program. And then as far as hand, hand was traditionally a, a weakness of our program, but since we've been here, it's gotten a lot stronger. We've hired two new hand surgeons in the plastics department and two new ortho hand surgeons since we've been here. And the ortho and the plastics hand worlds have become more and more integrated since we've been at Emory. And and then they're starting the fellowship now. So whereas hand, I think, used to be a weakness, it, it really is a, a strength of our program now. I remember asking as a applicant, what's the weakness of this program? And people would say complex elective hand. And that's definitely not the case anymore. The people that aren't interested in our hand are now saying, okay, well, this is a little too much hand. Beyond hand, what would you say residents come out with the strongest experience in? It's easier, I think, to talk about what we don't get as good of experience in. So head and neck is almost exclusively ENT now, unless you are at Grady. We still do some head and neck reconstruction at Grady especially for gunshot wounds to the face where we'll do uh, free flaps for those patients. A lot of times those are combination cases with oral surgery. Traditionally, we've had a really good aesthetic experience, and we and we still do, and it, it may be even better now. There was a restructuring of the Emory Aesthetic Center recently because of COVID, and it actually is busier now than it ever has been. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have opportunities to rotate with aesthetic surgeons in the community. And then hand, we talked about already. Craniofacial, we talked about a little bit already. Chris and I were looking earlier, but Northside Hospital, which is across the street from one of the children's hospital locations, actually has the most 
was it most births per of any single year hospital of any hospital in the, in the country? States. You know, any of those kids that have any issues, they, they get referred to Scottish Rite. So it's a really high volume center. And then micro has always been a, a strength here, and it, and it still is. And all these centers have a reach of across Georgia, especially when I was applying. I was looking at programs that had there were multiple programs within the same city. In terms of plastics programs, we're we're encompassing all of Georgia and even elsewhere. So I think it's just a surface area of the United States that really is a, a strength of this program. And what would you improve about your program? Since we have a lot of sites, it's a lot of driving. And in general, so once you get to the fourth, fifth, and sixth years, it's really uncommon to be driving between sites in the same day. When you're in your earlier years, sometimes you'll be asked to kind of bounce around a little bit. It's not common, but it does happen where you may have to drive during the day to go cover a case somewhere else. But in general, it's not that big a deal because you'll be you know at a rotation for six weeks and you just go there and, and do your thing. But when you're on call, um, it can be fairly annoying because you cover multiple places at once. We have a really good clinical experience. I think pretty much everyone would agree with that. We see most Highly things. operative. I would say if anything, we're biased towards the operative side of things. Yeah. If some residents said, maybe we need a little bit more clinic, I think that's balanced out a little bit at Grady because it's a completely resident-run service. There weren't even attendings that were at Grady up until a few years ago. So it is very traditional way of surgical training. And so it's nice to have kind of the balance between mm-hmm. the different sites. And then the re- probably research. I mean, we do research, but it's not... At most, you're going to be given like a month to to just work on only research. If you work it out beforehand, you can take a year and do research. It's not impossible, but not a lot of people do that, but you can. But at the same time, you're expected to you know do some research, but you kind of have to just find time to do it. How easy is it to you know find projects or get department support for projects? It's very easy. It's a clinical goldmine here in terms of research experience that if you want to be a yes person and just anytime something, you're going to have way more projects than you know what to do with. And then it kind of goes back to you almost wish you had a dedicated research period where you could just knock out these projects. But from a clinical experience of being able to operate and try to balance the two, I think, yeah, it maybe is a little bit more work, but I wouldn't give up my operative days to Mm -hmm just sit at home and do research, to be honest. Basic science stuff, you it's the same thing. Like if you want to do it, you, you can figure it out. But it's not, it's not like some other places where you're going to kind of like fall into basic science research. You, you would have to make some effort to, to get it going. And how about support, like as you're doing things like stat support or research coordination, and then also once you're ready to present? For stats... I recently did a craniofacial paper and they have a statistician over at the Children's Hospital that helped us do our thing. We've actually reorganized, even in the last year, our research approach. Um, One of our new attendings who was a Emory grad previously wanted to make it a more organized, formal research meeting as opposed to just the, you know, hey, what about this paper? How's that going kind of thing? And it's really added one interest from a medical student and support running IRBs and, you know, data collection, et cetera. So I think that it's only going to get better in the future. I mean, this is we're half a year in. Yeah. So we meet once every two weeks now on Zoom 
to just go over what projects are happening and, and kind of keep the momentum going on the project so that things don't get lost. And how about when you're done with your project going to conferences? What kind of support's available? If you have a paper that gets accepted for a presentation, they'll the department will pay for you to go. No limits? Uh, not that I know of. No, I don't think I don't so. Think so. You talked a little bit about it, but can you tell me more about call? So the way our call works is it's home call. And when you're on call, you cover all of the sites. We're actually kind of restructuring it right now because we're starting to cover even more hospitals than we used to. It can be a little bit overwhelming at times because you're covering a lot of places at once, especially if you're covering hand call and face call. Now there's going to be a quote-unquote junior resident, meaning either a one, a two, or a three, that is always on call with the senior resident whenever we're on hand call or hand face call. And we're on hand call every other day, and we're on face call every third day. And that really lessens the load because hand call, especially at Grady, can be crazy. Like you, you may do five or six cases in a day you know, on a weekend. So it really helps to have a junior who can help cover the other hospitals and cover you know, nursing calls and outpatient phone calls and that kind of thing. I would say in general, like if you took a just an average of all of our calls, they're really not that bad. But... There are some calls, like if you're on hand face and you just get unlucky, where it's just miserable. But, you know, that's kind of just the way it goes. As far as frequency of call, it can't be any better because you have 12 senior residents in the call pool, six integrated and six independent, and there's just one call pool, so you're on Q12. When you're on call, it can be bad, but it's it's really infrequent. What's the mid-level support like across the sites? All the Scottish attendings have their own PA or NP. Scottish is one of the children's hospitals. The VA has a dedicated PA and... That's it. I'd say <laughs> we don't have that a whole lot of uh, mid-level support, for better or for worse. So, you know, we, yeah, we kind of take care of all that stuff ourselves. And, you know, I, I personally think it's a strength to be able to kind of do all of that stuff and figure out how to manage your time and get all of that done. But take that for what you will. There's not a whole lot of mid-level support. And are there dedicated times for electives, either that you can choose within your institution or ones you can travel for? There are. You have to be a senior resident to do that, either your second to last or last year. Most residents will do it their second to last year because their chief year is usually packed with Grady and Emory Chief, so it's usually not as convenient. Is that just one month, usually? Yeah, I think you get six weeks, your fifth and your sixth year. And people in the past have gone abroad and done things in Europe, or you can stay in Atlanta and just, you know, rotate with like a private plastic surgeon. Oculoplastic, some people go to Georgia Hand up the road. There's a lot of options. And going into that a little bit more, what are the opportunities like for either those international full months or like short-term mission trips? We can probably talk about those separately. Short trips, there's actually, we have a great relationship with, I mean, of course, our orthopedic colleagues, but then also we're even closer to our oral surgeons. And one of them takes an annual trip to Haiti. Right. <laughs> I haven't been on this trip. <laughs> <laughs> so one of our oral surgeon 
colleagues takes a trip annually. It's kind of like an Operation Smile trip. He's an orthognathic surgeon, so they'll do a lot of cleft cases there. So there are opportunities like that. Or two years ago, we had two different chiefs go internationally for theirs. And last year, we had one of our chiefs go also internationally. So uh, There's also a, a global health track at Emory, which is a year long, where you meet with the other people in the track, and it's all specialties. And you have readings and talk about global health in general. And then you spend a month in Ethiopia. You kind of create your own rotation at the one of the big hospitals in Ethiopia. I know you've touched on it briefly already, but can you talk a little bit more about the cosmetic experience? So there's kind of two ways you get your cosmetic experience. The first is, of course, at Grady. Like I said, it's a resident-run service. And so patients that want to pay out of pocket can do so, and you'll evaluate them. You'll do the operation. You'll do the post-operative care, just like any other patient or any other trauma patient at Grady. More commonly, you will see most of your aesthetic experience at our dedicated Emory Aesthetic Center. That is a very, very busy service that operates pretty much every day, and you'll be doing cases every day. You'll do some clinic, but again, we're definitely biased towards the operative side of things. A lot of breast, a lot of facelifts with Dr. Nahai, pretty much the body contouring, you know, the whole run-of-the-mill stuff that you normally do. And the Grady Clinic has built up a reputation over the years, so people kind of know now that you can go there and get surgery for a little bit cheaper than you would find in the community. And so people tell their friends. And so we have a pretty constant influx of people coming in to have body contouring or a couple people have done facelifts, breast augmentation, so, you know, real, real cosmetic surgery. And the Grady experience is truly a, uh, just attending oversight, but not involved too much mm-hmm. type of deal. So you, you really get to, to do the case on your own. You work at Grady throughout. Um, you're a chief for at least the second half of your rotation, your second to last year, and for three months your last year. But from your aesthetic experience, we started rotating up there as a second year, and that's at least a month every year going forward. And again, I can't emphasize enough that it's a very busy service that you, it will be you and the attending even as a second year doing aesthetic surgery, which I, I was blown away by. I did not expect that. Do you have any experience with gender affirmation surgery? We don't do a whole, a whole lot of it, honestly. There'll be a, a case here or there, but we don't have a, a service for it or anything. It's limited to top surgery. And is moonlighting possible? Yeah. So for a while now, moonlighting has basically been a way for us to offload our call while also making some extra money. So typically you have a a moonlighter who goes up to one of the children's hospitals. On weeknights, it's from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. And you get paid an hourly wage basically just to sew up the lacerations in the ER. And that any face consult or anything like that that comes in, the moonlighter can just deal with. And so the on-call person doesn't have to deal with it. And you're getting paid. Since COVID happened, that has been kind of shut down. But it should be coming back any month now. We, we keep getting told it's about to be back and then COVID keeps spiking. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But hopefully it'll, it'll be back soon. Our program director 
used to moonlight. It's been just kind of how things have worked here for a long time. We fully expect this to be back after COVID. And it is really nice to have that extra money, obviously, and to offload the call person. I think it's how we allow us to cover so many hospitals because Grady's easily the busiest on call. The second busiest is Scottish, which is the children's hospital that we moonlight at. So it really allows us to offload the second busiest hospital. And there's an intern in-house at Grady. And so with that support, you can manage multiple sites because you usually have a junior that can, if something goes down at Grady and you need to go to the operating room, you, someone can cover you at the other sites. The system works well. It just at times can be stressful, like driving around Atlanta. And are there any awesome perks about your program you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, as far as the clinical stuff, it all comes down to Grady, really. We just operate completely independently. I know when I was on the interview trail, people talked about autonomy all the time. But from the away rotations that I did... And I actually didn't rotate at Emory. Seeing some other places and then coming to Emory, like the autonomy at Emory is truly, especially at Grady, it's not just something that people say, like you're you're operating. It's just residents and fellows operating and the attending will poke their head in and say, yeah, that looks good. So you really, you learn a ton at Grady. You have to ask the attending to scrub in, yeah. so to speak. <laughs> That's true. So it's it's once you once you could say, okay, I need your help, then they're like, okay, sure, absolutely. And they'll patiently watch. One of our attendings is so patient. I mean, yeah. she will wait and watch you, you know, struggle through micro or something at two in the morning, and then finally it's, hey, Doctor Chang, I've I've had enough. Can you please scrub in? And she's like, okay, sure. So I mean, it's it's really unique to see that. Also, I'll say that each of the sites are so different that you get a completely different experience. So plastic surgery, as we all know, is so broad that the indigent population is very different from your university hospital, you know, breast reconstruction or abdominal wall reconstructive experience, which is very different from your aesthetic population, which is very different from your peds population. And so I think, and I didn't really think about this when I was applying, but you really want a strong program in each of those categories and because they're, they're very different. So I think a lot of programs have, oh, I'm really good at trauma or a very trauma-heavy place, or I'm really good at aesthetics or X, Y, or Z. But very few programs are strong in each of those categories. And so I really would encourage med students to like look for programs that are strong in each of the, So that way, when you apply for fellowship or you decide to go into practice, that you're well-versed in all the different surgical techniques, and then you can develop your practice the way you want to. And how about any of those more like materialistic perks? So things like loops, food. Food stipend, there's... Now we get get discounts. $6 $6 for breakfast Um, and $6 for dinner at the Emory Hospitals. If you're looking for free stuff... Emory's not your place. Yeah, right. <laughs> Honestly, there are a like, thousand reasons to choose Emory beyond um, a few um, bucks here and there. If custom scrubs yeah. are that big of a deal, I'll buy them for you personally. Yeah. So now I'd love to hear a bit more about your program leadership. So your chief and your PD. Dr. Carlson is a an amazing person, and he so he trained in general surgery plastic surgery and surgical oncology. So he's one of those people that can truly kind of do anything. 
He used to do lots of head and neck reconstruction. He does not do as much anymore. He now does mostly breast reconstruction. But as far as his just leadership, he's a quiet leader. He leads by example. He's an amazing surgeon, and he's so much fun to be in the operating room with. And I think he has really built and continued the culture of Emory of being kind of welcoming to everyone while also pushing you to, to be the best you can be. I mean, he started the integrated program. He, you know, has really emphasized research. He is one of the people that started the oncoplastic reduction because he took his knowledge from the lumpectomy side of things and combined that to his knowledge of the breast reduction side of things and just combined the techniques. And so that's why, you know, Emory got its name or yeah. one of the reasons that the tram flap, the, you know, experimenting at different flaps at Grady with Vasquez and Nahai back in the day. Cool. So in the same with skin reducing mastectomy or the type four mastectomy, he was one of the first people to really, to really do that. So amazing surgeon and also a, a really inspiring, great guy to work for. And I think pretty much everyone would agree with that. I think it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that doesn't have a ton of respect for Dr. Carlson. And how about your program director? Dr. Loskin's great. Yeah. He's universally one of everyone's favorite surgeons to work with. He's one of the fastest. Working with him is a, you know, a workshop on time and efficiency. He's one of those surgeons that will bounce between three different rooms and because of the experience we had at Grady and the autonomy there, even at Emory University Hospital, you'll be doing, you know, either some complex abdominal wall. He'll guide you and say, hey, let's do some here, scrub in. Uh, let's go a little deeper here, a little bit more here. Why don't you keep going here? I'm going to go to that other room. He'll do the same thing in that room, check on him, and then bounce back in for the critical parts. I mean, it's pretty great to watch and great to be a part of that service. Yeah, and he always has your back as a resident. Behind closed doors, he'll, you know, say, what are you doing? Why would you do that? But then to other services or to whoever, he'll always defend defend his mm -hmm. own residents. They're both people that you would want to spend time with outside of work. And actually, they're both people we have. Like, I'll go running right by his house and with one of the other co-residents, and, you know, we'll stop by and knock on his door and see if he wants to join a few <laughs> times. Just to, They're both great people. Can you tell me about a time when you or any of the other residents brought up an issue to program leadership and how they responded? When we were restructuring the hand call service, as you can imagine, with the influx of new attendings on the hand side of things and it being ortho versus plastics and then who takes this consult, there can be a lot of growing pains. Our chief resident that led the charge in this that rotated with that service first and had a lot of suggestions of, oh, this works and this doesn't. We should try to be more accommodating in this and we shouldn't try to do this. And Loskin and Carlson both were like, okay, this is what we need to do and had you know some roundtable discussions with orthopedics attendings. And I think maybe they're a good relationship with those orthopedics attendings and how it worked out. But it was really uh, cool to see that what could have been a line in the sand, oh, that's plastics and that's ortho and we don't like each other anymore. It's very much a, a fluid relationship. And they also very much made it clear that they cared about what happened to us on call. Whereas I think there are some attendings that would say, you know, they're, they're just residents, you know, they, 
we're not that concerned about how much call they take, but they, they really kind of defended us in those conversations to make sure that we weren't getting taken advantage of and that the call system was fair. And the same thing happened for moonlining too. When COVID changed the whole rules of the game and the ED said, Hey, we're not going to, we're going to put a pause on moonlining. Loskin was one of the first people up there saying, Hey, we need to figure out how we can make this work because it benefits both parties and it offloads our call, et cetera. And what kind of role do residents play in like some of the other types of decision making? So like the residency selection process or new faculty hires? I would say the residents as senior residents have a say. As junior level residents, it's probably less so. It's probably going to be the case at most programs. In terms of hiring and firing, we are not involved in that, as I'm glad we're not, just because I don't think we should be philosophically involved in that process. However, when it comes to call and when it comes to different rotations, we're very much involved. And now can you tell me a bit more about the relationships amongst the residents? That was one of the reasons why I wanted to come to Emory. I rotated here, and it of all the places I rotated and interviewed at, I found that there were kind of like three different types of programs. There were the programs that were malignant towards each other. I think that's few and far between in terms of those programs. Most programs fell into the category of these were peers, but not necessarily friends. You're just work colleagues. And that's great. And I think that's probably average. And then there was a handful of programs, just a couple, where I could tell that these people were really close. They were in each other's weddings. They would, you know, try to go on vacations together and spend time outside of work. You know, they'd go camping, et cetera. I saw that at Emory, but I didn't see that at too many other places. I saw that there were a few programs that claimed to have that, but you could tell as soon as the interview social was over, that they were like, you know, not interested in hanging out. Chris and I have gone hiking together a few times. I go climbing with another one of our co-residents, same one that Chris runs with by Dr. Loskin's house. (laughs) (laughs) And then a few of us went to dinner actually last weekend to celebrate one of the general surgery residents passing his oral boards. There's no rift at all between the general surgery trained people and and the integrated residents go to weddings together. Everyone's very, very close. I would say that was the number one reason why I picked Emory over anything else. Now a bit more about like the logistics of how residents live. So do most own or rent? Around half or maybe a little over half of the integrated residents own. I own, Chris owns, and then maybe seven or eight of the integrated people do. And then the general surgery trained people If they didn't train at Emory, then they're only here for three years. So most of those people will rent. And then as far as location within the city, there are a few really nice neighborhoods that are kind of centrally located between all of the places where we go. I would say most people are within a central location of between Grady, Emory, and Scottish. Like nowhere is going to be more than probably 20-minute drive. And that's including Scottish. If you take that out, it's 15 everywhere, 10 to 15. Is it necessary to have a car? It is. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I guess you could bike, but it'd be hard. Have fun on call. Yeah. (laughs) And what's the breakdown with residents in terms of people who are single, in relationships, married, kids? I think traditionally Emory has been a more 
married-ish with kids type place, probably because it was only recently had an integrated program. Now that the integrated system has become more established, I think there's more single people. But if we had to just count it up, there's probably probably maybe half married and then half single of the single people, probably half of them have serious significant others. And then however many that leaves left are just single. I think probably compared to a lot of other programs, there are, we would be fewer single people. And what do you like about living in Atlanta? So I grew up here, but I live in a, an area that I don't think I ever went to as a kid. Didn't even know it existed. I think the restaurants are awesome here. Mm-hmm. You're not going to really find like the Michelin rated restaurants necessarily, but there are some really good ones. And then just like the run of the mill, just good restaurants. They're all, all over the place, whatever type of food you want. There's a whole area called uh, Buford Highway that has all sorts of like Indian food and, and different Sichuan yeah, Asian foods that are amazing. And then there's a thing called the Beltline that people talk about all the time in Atlanta. It's a um, kind of like a big, just like a long trail that people use for running and biking and also has restaurants and, and shopping and things like that along it. The weather in Atlanta is a big, strong point. It can get really hot in the summer, but in the fall and the spring, it's just beautiful. It's 60s or 70s, low 80s during the day. And then the winter is mild. You know, at worst, it's in the 30s or 40s, but usually it's in the 50s or 60s during the winter. And it, you know, barely ever snows. It's also a lot greener than I thought it would be. Yeah, City of Trees, actually, is the nickname. It's hilly. It's beautiful. There are a lot of camping areas, running areas, outdoor kind of trail, you know, things you can hit on the weekends or even if you get out early on the day. Within an hour, there's hundreds of places you can go. I mean, it is truly an outdoor city. That's most of what I wanted to talk about today. Any final thoughts, either on your program in particular or on the general process of selecting a residency? For selecting a residency, just I'd say try to make sure that you're focusing on things that that really matter and everyone is going to take call. And when you're on call, it's never fun. So I would not focus too much. People I remember on the interview trail, people always asking about, you know, what's the call schedule? How does the call work? And in my mind, like it really it's not a huge deal. You know, the call is going to be what it is. But you need to focus on things like, do you fit in with the people at the program? Do you do you feel like you could spend six years with them? You know, that's a, a big chunk of your life. And then Chris alluded to this earlier, but being at a place where you get a well-rounded experience, I think, is super important. Unless you just know you want to be the, the world's greatest microsurgeon, it's probably best to get a well-rounded experience where you really get a, a taste of everything. And then you can choose a fellowship or not based on that. And do you have a single best piece of advice you'd give to a prospective applicant? I would say a lot of applicants are looking for things that are very superficial. You're looking for a prestigious name so you can tell your co-medical students, oh, I went to this place for residency. Or you're looking at, oh, they're going to pay for this, you know, my loops here or my books here. Or it would be cool if I was in this city 
I really think that the fit, a lot of residencies talk about a good fit. You need to find, I mean, it, it was very much a familial feel here at Emory for me. And coupled with the clinical experience at all these sites that were just, I bet you can have equal opportunities at a lot of places, or let's say a handful of places, but I don't think there are almost anywhere that could surpass us. I think we're just as good as anyone in any of those categories. So those two things of the clinical experience and that fit, I think those are the primary things you should focus on, not something that you see on Doximity. That being said, we're, you know, if you look on that, yeah, it would be a prestigious name. But, you know, that all those things kind of wear off after six months of being there. Why? Because, you know, the orthopedic resident that you're talking to or the general surgeon you're talking to is also in that same program. So it's not that exciting. And at three in the morning, it's definitely not exciting. So it's kind of like I tell med students, it's like wearing your white coat. Before you were in med school, you thought that the white coat was the coolest thing ever. And, oh, if I just got my white coat, then I will have made it. (laughs) And then after doing your first like clinical exam, you're like, I would trade my white coat for a lot of free time right now. So I think really just look for your clinical experience and look for the familial fit that will be comfortable for you because six years is a long time. And how can interested students find out more about your program? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Chris. So you could follow us on Instagram at Emory Plastic Surgery. Feel free to email either one of us. I'm chris.stewart at emory.edu. I'm spain.i at emory.edu. Well, thank you guys so much for speaking with me today. All right. Thanks, Jenna. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.